Well, thank you, worship team. Go ahead and be seated. Welcome, everyone. My name is Pastor Jared. It's great to be with you. We're continuing our series in spiritual warfare. And so, parents, I look at it like this. If you do have your child here, this is a great sermon and great equipping for you to have a conversation later about spiritual warfare with your child, with your children. I'm joking a little bit there, um, but it is a good series. We're in week three. Two weeks ago, we started, and really what we wanted to do is kind of slowly just kind of move into this series, and so we had a 30,000 square foot, uh, 30,000 feet up kind of view of just the general details of spiritual warfare. It does exist. It is real. In week one, we talked about it, and we introduced these three elements, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, but before we get to that, it's important to understand because people will think, okay, this spiritual warfare stuff, this is that crazy stuff, right, about Satan and ghosts and demons, and yes, that is a part of it, not so much the ghost, but yes, Satan, the devil, is real, and he has an army, the demons, that help him to accomplish his mission here on this earth, but it's not just that, and that's kind of in the unseen world, but really what we've been focusing on, and we are going to talk about the devil next week, so I invite you to come back for that, is really that spiritual warfare is something that we experience every day of our lives. And I think many people are somewhat unaware of it, and I think Satan likes to keep it that way because he's at war, and if we don't know we're at war in this spiritual warf warfare, then he is gaining ground on us, so to speak. And so last week, we looked at the world, and here's our Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. This is our series verse right here. I think it's good to read it each and every week. And it kind of draws out these three elements on the left, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those are the, the elements that we are at war with. And here's what it says. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. We'll get to that next week. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what we're going to be talking about today. Among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But before we do that, if you missed last week, I'll get you caught up. It's, it was a great message, and it really does make sense when you think about the path and the course of the world, and that course of the world is going in a direction away from God. We have God's truth, and then you have the truth and the details that Satan is over, that's this, this system that he is over, and it's organized in the sense that this didn't happen by mistake. And he's influencing the world. And basically, he's taking God's truth and redefining everything. So families and all the structure in family and all the details about God's truth. Satan in the world is changing it. He's, he's using identity and sexuality to really get into the minds of the individual. He says, you go make you. You go do what makes you happy. And really, it contradicts what Scripture communicates. And so when we looked at that last week, past, or Adrian was here teaching, what we're supposed to do is test everything that the world comes at us with. All the noise and all the details of the world, we're supposed to test it, and we test it with God's truth, God's word. What does God's word say about this? What does God's word say about thy identity? What does God's word say about family? And looking back at the truth of God's word, and it's just not limited to that. The world has a lot of noise, and maybe by the end of that sermon last week, you're like, yeah, I want to try to distance myself from the world. 
You know, I looked into some things, and some people, the church has actually been trying to do this for years. There's some religious sects of, of, of religion that obviously says, you know, we're going to distance ourselves from the world. We're not going to allow technology in the house. And there is some attraction to that, dealing with what we're currently dealing in the world. But this is the way the world has always been. But I looked up a place you might be interested in moving to if you want to kind of distance yourself from the world. It's called Manawi, Nebraska. Now, don't, well, don't give up on me yet. It's got one residence, so population one. You move there by yourself, you doubled it. If your family moves in there, oh my goodness, inflation, like everything's going to go through there. But look at what this one city of one population has. It has a library, a restaurant, and a pub. It's got everything you need to read, eat, and drink. It is awesome. And I was joking about this a little bit, but I think there is something about trying to distance yourself from the world that is attractive, trying to limit the noise and the influence that the world has on us. But I'm not necessarily thinking that's what God really wants us to do because he doesn't want us to live in isolation, so we'd be sinning by isolating ourselves in the world because God says, I want you to come together so that you can love one another, that you can share one another's burdens that you can be there for one another, that you can serve one another. And I want you to come and worship together. And this community of what we're doing right now is really honoring to God because this is part of the plan of how God wants us to live within the world is in community with one another. And so we looked at that last week, the world. And regardless of where you live, you're still going to be influenced by it. But I think today as we look at the flesh, I think this is the hardest message for us to hear, for us to receive, for us to deliver. And it's because of this. You can look at the world and there's this outward look at the world and you can see what's wrong and you can be frustrated, but you can blame. You can place blame on the world. You can place blame on Satan. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week, that we're really going to look at the devil and the details of the devil. And that's that outward focus and looking at what he's doing and be frustrated and angry, but you can blame the devil well, today is difficult because in lesson number three, we are at war with our flesh. We are our enemy today. Today is not a day where we look outward at the world or the devil. Today is about looking inward at ourselves, the flesh. And we see back in Ephesians, it talks about our flesh has desires. And that sometimes it's tugging and pulling at us and we enter into that sin and so today we are at war with ourselves. But to understand the biblical definition of flesh, because Paul does talk about it, and sometimes it's the external part of, of our body chemistry, but here's, here's what we're talking about. Paul writes about a lot, and he uses this word flesh, and it is a compulsive inner force which is in opposition and rebellion against God. We have this inner force with us, and it's called the sin nature. And this, this sin nature is against an opposition God. We rebel against God because of our sin nature. Now, to fully understand this, we have to go to the origin of sin. We need to go to chapter 3 in Scripture. And here's what's fascinating. In chapter 1 and 2, on the first page of the Bible, God creates and he creates all things. And you look at his creation, it's awesome. I, mean, I love the book of Genesis. It's just fascinating to me. But God gets to the problem really quick in Scripture. 
In this Bible, it's on the second page. So page one is chapter ones and two, and he's creating, and then he creates man in that chapter two part. And in chapter three, it talks about the truth about us. It talks about the fall. It talks about this sin problem that we have. And I love that scripture tells the truth about us. And so briefly, here it is. Adam and Eve, the first people created, they chose their path over God's path. God says, do not eat from the, from the tree in the middle of the garden. So at this stage, this garden is beautiful. There's no sin. There's no weeds. It's perfection at this time. The earth has no death. It has no disease. It has no sickness. It is gorgeous. And by Satan influencing Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. And that right then and there, sin entered the world. The world became broken. Death entered the world. Disease entered the world. If you're ever looking out at the world and you're saying, why does this happen? You know, why is there world hunger? Why is there, you know, people who do harmful things to individuals? It's because of chapter 3. It's all rooted in this sin. And that's when, now when we're born into this world, every life since now has this sin nature within us because we're born into this world as sinners. And what that means, back to the, to the world, we are on the course of the world. Far from God, we have this sin nature. And it's important to understand really what the enemy is before we get into this. Because if you ever go to battle and you're not quite sure what you're battling against, you're going to be confused and most likely you're going to lose that battle. And what we're really going to key in today on today is our sin nature. And Paul talks about it in Galatians 5.17. Let's read this together, and then we'll talk about it. It says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. And so what we see here from Paul is he's actually talking about we have two natures here. Because we're born into the world, and he starts with it. The sinful nature wants to do evil. We all have this sin nature in us that wants to do evil. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you put your faith and trust, and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says you're saved. Saved from the consequences of your sin. And when that time comes, when you have the right information about Jesus with the right attitude, and you want to follow him, and you come to that faith moment, he says he puts God in you. When he ascended to heaven, he looked out, and his disciples were like, Jesus, where are you going? He's like, don't worry, I'm going to send the helper. And that is through the Holy Spirit, and that's what this is talking about. So when we come to faith, we have this new identity. We have this identity in Christ. Now we have this nature in Christ in us, but yet we still have this sin nature in us. That's what Paul is communicating to us here. There's these two natures that, because he's talking to the church here, that are going to be at war with one another because the sinful nature wants to do evil. But we see the Holy Spirit is guiding, nudging us to what? To good intentions. And we're able to do both here. We're able, because a lot of people say, well, isn't truly humanity, you know, basically good? That's not what Scripture tells us. 
No, the answer to that question would be no, especially if you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Remember the Ephesians verse, it says, once you were dead in your trespasses, the course, and this is very sad, the course of the world that has millions, billions of people throughout history on it are dead. They're, 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 they're leading themselves to death because life comes from Jesus. And so it's very sad. So here's, here's the truth about everything. And I like to say this at memorial service because a lot of times we get hung up on goodness and badness. Good people do not go to heaven. Bad people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And my hope as the church as we look at that course, the world's course and that road that's leading to death, and we say, how can we impact them? How can we reach them? How can we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them so that they can be forgiven of their sins? But back to the church, we have these two cultures, and they are at war with each other. And this is a battle that we as followers of Christ will experience every day. You're going to be tugged sometimes towards the sinful nature, and at times you're going to follow and be honoring to God in your life. And we can't really change that because we have these two natures within us. And so here Paul gets a little more detailed now in Romans. So he writes this, and in Romans he's going to start sharing about his struggles with this. In Romans 7, verses 23 and 24, it says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So just to touch on that last point, remember this verse because we're going to close that third point. And Paul's going to expand on the next verse, verse 25. But I like how he starts this off. He says, I love God's law. And if you read Paul's story, it's incredible. It's just an incredible story about transformation of how Jesus works. And so here's Paul. Before God changes his name, he was Saul. And his mission in life was to destroy followers of Christ, this, this message about Jesus. Jesus is walking the face of the earth, and there was a lot of Pharisees at the time. Paul was a Pharisee. They did not like this. They wanted to reject it, but Paul went a step further. He didn't just reject it. He wanted to put an end to it, and he wanted to put an end to those who were following Jesus. So his mission was to hunt down and kill people or throw them in jail, one or the other. That was Saul's mission in life, and on one of his journey, as he's on the road going to Damascus, and he's going to persecute the, the Christians, Jesus confronts them. And so at this stage, just think of this, how far Paul is away from God. He is so far from God at this moment in life when Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus. And you might have walked in these doors far from God today. But Jesus says this, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then the next words are very important. Because Saul says, Lord, he heard this voice from heaven, and for the first time he acknowledges his Lord. And it's just an incredible story of God's love. And we see that Jesus was pursuing God, and Je or Jesus was pursuing Saul, and he's pursuing you. And at this moment in 
Saul's life, he is so far from God and he's a murderer. And I love how God works. He says, I'm going to use this man. Not only does he save him, he's going to use him for his purpose and his glory. And that can be the same for you. Maybe not in the exact same way the Apostle Paul. But I, I just want those words to be encouraging to you that before you even think about pursuing God, God is pursuing you just like he did Paul. And Paul is saying now, he's in the church, and he goes, and I still have this sin within me, but I love how he starts the letter. I want to accomplish honoring you with my life, Lord. And I want to follow your and obey your laws because they are good. The law is good. It's structure. It puts boundaries in our lives. It tells us what to do and what not to do. And yet he says, I'm still struggling with this. And there's a lot of places in Scripture that I read, and Paul was a, an amazing pursuer of God. Just a, He had an amazing heart. He, he teaches us about contentment, whether he had a, a lot or very little. He was content no matter what he had. And sometimes, like Paul was such an amazing follower of Christ, it's hard to relate to him because he was so amazing in his pursuit of God. But this Paul, the Paul that says, I'm struggling in life, I have sin within me, Who's going to free me from this sin? This is the Paul I can relate to. This Paul. And he is just communicating that he is at war. There's this power within him that's at war with his mind. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And many of you are probably in the same position as Paul. You know what you're supposed to be doing, but there is a war in your mind that is keeping you from doing that, and it's pointing you into the opposite direction of honoring God with your life, and you are now entering into that sin nature. And maybe for some of you, this is actually somewhat comforting. Because maybe when you came to faith, and that next day, and you, you woke up and you're like, okay, I'm a believer in Christ now. And then about three or four days into it, you are making mistake after mistake. Maybe, you know, again, maybe you cut your curse words down a little bit and that's good. And that's, you know, moving in the right direction. But a lot of people don't understand that God didn't, Jesus did not eradicate our sin at the cross. He didn't erase it from us. We still continue on as believers with that sin nature. And for some people, they come to faith and it's a little bit confusing, like, why am I still sinning? Why am I still making mistakes in my relationships? Why is my anger still having outbursts within my family? What is going on? And that's because there's that sin nature and that nature in, in Christ that are at war. And to really understand the sin nature in Romans 8, 7. I love how Paul just says this. This is for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. So what that's communicating is that when we're in that sinful state, when we're in that sin and nature part of us, every time we enter into that, we are opposing God. We are rebelling against God because in that sin nature, sin separates us from God there's no way in that moment that we could be honoring to God with our lives. And it's important for us to understand really the origin of sin and really how tainted we are with sin. And that word, that biblical word that we really need to understand is total depravity. And what that means is our whole being, every aspect about us is tainted with sin. When you think of your thoughts, 
your emotions, your feelings, your behaviors, your actions, they're all tainted with sin. Now again, there is good news to this, and we're going to get there. But what we're really looking at is the sin nature part of things, because that's the war that we are at with our flesh. And our flesh is hungry. <laughs> like, it has desires. And what it wants to do is it wants to eat. And there are times when we feed it. And we're about to look at a sin list that I think is a good time for us to be challenging to ourselves because Paul has an extensive list here that we're going to look at. And there might be something on there that we're really struggling with. Let me rephrase that. I know there are things on this list that I know that you are struggling with. I spent all week preparing for this message, challenging me with this list. It was a long week this week. But it's, it's good. It's good because, again, if Paul struggled with this, you can bet we're going to struggle with this. And so I want to go back to something we introduced on week one. We talked about footholds and strongholds. And really what a foothold is, is where Satan is trying to take ground in your life. And he uses sin to do that. And the minute we open the door and allow him and we walk into this sinful state, he starts to take ground. And what he wants that sin to do is to become a stronghold in your life. It moves from a foothold to a stronghold where now that sin is dominating your life. And we see this can happen even to Christians. It doesn't always have to come from Satan. We can actually do that to ourselves. Christians can open doors to spiritual attack by dabbling in sin and living in unrepentance. And so as we look at this list, there's going to be sins, and again, challenging our hearts to be able to hear and want to say, look, Lord, I need to repent from this. Because what happens a lot of time, our pride gets in the way. And because of our pride of thinking we know more than we do, or thinking that we can overcome something, or that's not going to affect me, I'm a follower of Christ, what we can start doing is cracking the door open, and we start dabbling in some of that sin on this list. And before you know it, those footholds that we created ourselves as Christians, allowing that influence in our life, can turn now to a stronghold where now we are living in unrepentance. It's just day after day we're going to continue to do this. So let's look at this list. Let's be honest with us and God and see what God and how God wants to work through a lot of these details through us today. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. We'll read through it, and then we'll go through it slowly. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what happens, is what Paul is saying. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and if I missed anything, Paul's saying, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so we're going to come back to that last sentence after we talk about these sins. So here's what Paul does. is He groups these first three, and there's a lot of sexual immorality in those first three. But here's how Christians can start to dabble, we can start telling ourselves, you know, there's a lot of nudity in this show, but it's okay, we're Christians, we're above it. 
Again, that's where pride starts to come in. We're over that. Or it's possible that you say, here's what we're going to do. We have the remote. As soon as we start seeing it, we're going to fast forward really quick. We're going to try to fast forward through it. But it is amazing what a spark on both sides, men and women, watching things we shouldn't be watching, and that triggers and the stimulation we get from that. That's the dabbling part, thinking that we can handle it. And let me tell you this, TV has changed a lot since I was a kid. Back when I was a kid, on the seven channels we had, no nudity. And then cable hit, and now there's nudity everywhere, right? And I will see Christians post things like the Game of Thrones, which I hear is all but nudity. Like, we have to be careful what we post. We don't want to point people to this sinful show in nudity because nudity is used by the devil and Christians can open up that door and it starts with the TV program. But I told you the flesh is hungry. The desires of the flesh want more and it changes from the Game of Thrones or whatever. And I'm not just picking on them. I'm picking on all nudity is not good for us to visualize and see because it triggers things. And I wouldn't be saying this if the porn industry wasn't as popular and strong as it is. And I've walked through with men in my life about porn addiction and the destruction that it does in their lives. And you know what? It all started one time looking at nudity and it grew from that point moving forward. And we can see Christians can dabble in that. And that foothold of nudity sparks something. And ultimately, it can lead to a stronghold where now that sin is dominating your life. I look at premarital conversations. As a pastor, I get to have this conversation a lot. I actually enjoy it to the point. If I have a couple come in, I'm going to ask them, are you having sex? Because I believe what God's word says, sex is for marriage and don't act married until you're married. And the reason I share that is because when people start acting married, now they're going to have real conversations about marriage. The married people know what I'm talking about here because it changes. It gets more difficult. Marriage is a blessing. I love my wife. She's sitting right here in the front row. She's beautiful. But there are times when we don't agree. There are times when we're not on the same page. There are times where I'm just bugging the heck out of her. She never bugs the heck out of me, by the way. And what happens is when you start acting married by sleeping together before marriage, you start having marital problems because we all do. And sometimes they never get to the wedding because they started acting married first. And that is something sacred that God is waiting for you to experience in marriage. And so we can start to see they start dabbling and then it has a stronghold and then it can cause division. It can cause division in a marriage because we dabbled. We dabbled. And you might be saying here, well, maybe they weren't meant to be. Well, let me tell you, once you make the commitment, God says, I am doing something special here. It's not going to be easy. But they never got to the commitment part. And yes, marriage is difficult, but it is also an amazing blessing where two become one. And there is no other relationship that we experience that outside of marriage, and that's what makes marriage so unique. So don't act married before you are married. And then we look. Idolatry and sorcery is next on the list. And that word sorcery, sorcery is pharmakeia in the Greek, which we get the word pharmacy from. And so this idolatry and the sorcery part, you know, Paul starts to move into these mood-altering substances. 
Now look, a lot of that is used in worship. In today's day and age, you know, someone will come home from work and say, oh, I need to relax. And we look to substance or we look to some things that are going to help us to relax. And whether you're in a spiritual worship, so I have seen sorcery in Haiti. I've been twice. It is a dark place. Voodoo is real there in the sense of it's dominating lives. And I've seen kind of what, you know, Paul is communicating here. But it's also this mood-altering thing. And so here's what happens. I need to relax. And we start taking substance for that. Or in this, you know, whether it's, you know, like alcohol or pills or whatever it is, I need to relax. And we start dabbling in that a little bit. And if we're not careful, what can happen? And again, society would prove this. Is that foothold of seeking comfort outside of the Lord, seeking comfort to these substances can turn into an addiction. And now that substance that you were looking to relax now has a stronghold in your life and it is dominating your life. And then, just in case you're not connecting to anything yet, here's where Paul captures the entire audience because this is just relationship stuff. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. And we can see that that's that part of that sinful nature. And in week one, we looked at how anger, it says, you know, don't let the sun go down with that angry heart, whether it's with your family, with a coworker, with a follower, believer in Christ, because when we allow that anger to continue to fester all night, we can cause division, which is up there because of our anger. And rather than focused on reconciling, now we want that relationship to end. And that's what Satan wants. Satan wants, as believers, he wants our relationships. He wants to kill our relationships. He can't kill us spiritually, but he wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy our relationships. And we can see how hostility and quarreling play a part. And we start to dabble in it. And before we know it, now it's got a stronghold on that relationship with somebody. And there's division or death to that relationship. And then it goes on. Selfish ambition. Anyone experience that one? We have any selfish people in the audience here today? Like that's self-explanatory. We are selfish people. I know my wife has to put up with my selfishness a lot. And then dissension and division. You know, we have just experienced much of that over the last three years here at Alpine Church with the leadership of Alpine Church. And yes, we have been in a spiritual war for three years. Three years of people leaving. And it happens in relationships, but it happens in churches. And it's just not where God wants us to be. He says, don't allow this division. Like church splits and the way it happened here at Alpine is unhealthy. That was an unhealthy church split. And you can read scripture when the church split. And yes, pastors are not perfect. Pastors fall to every one of these categories. Every one of them. A lot of times people put pastors on pedestals. Please don't do that to me because I'm not that great. Trust me, I am not deserving to be on a pedestal, not even close. But pastors are just people in dissension, division. And then it gets envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Yeah, my late teens and early 20s would have, would, would have connected to that. Oops, that would have talked my language right there. Now here, I just need you to know that Scripture does not condemn drinking of alcohol. It only condemns drunkenness. It doesn't forbid the consumption of alcohol, but it condemns drunkenness. So there's this line. And for some people, 
They dabble. I've dabbled, especially in my late 20s, or sorry, my late teens and my early 20s. And here's what happens is that line starts to move. And before you know it, you're experiencing drunkenness. And you're experiencing drunkenness at wild parties. And Paul is getting at something here that many people are dabbling in this. And that dabble, a drink here and there, can turn into more and more and more. And before you know it, it's got a stronghold on your life. My brother-in-law was an, was an alcoholic. And I know he struggled. And to walk with him, and, and I was there on the day he was baptized, thank God. But I know he struggled. And ultimately, he died. And it's a little confusing how, you know, his death came to be, but my heart just broke. But I do remember he was trying to clean himself up. I remember inviting him to church, and he would say, ah, no, I'm not ready to come to church. I got to get cleaned up. I said, no, that's not how it works. You come to church broken. God does the fixing. We're all broken. But the only reason we're here is because God is doing a work in and in us. We're not here because of ourselves. We're not here saying, hey, we're Christians because of ourselves, because Jesus did all the work. But people are suffering because of these sins. And for us, before we move on, that last sentence, it's a tough one. Let me tell you again, Paul says, so he's said this over and over in Scripture, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so when we have these two natures, What's going to happen is, yes, as followers of Christ, we are going to continue to sin, but we are slipping into sin. And slipping into sin is different than indulging in sin. There is a difference. And when we indulge into sin, day after day after day, we have that heart of unrepentance. What Paul is getting at here, including himself, he was one who slipped into sin. As followers of Christ, we are to be in this camp, the camp that slips into sin, that also, even in those moments, has a heart of repentance. But what he doesn't want for followers of Christ is to indulge into sin, because now we're living like non-believers. And maybe some of you are here. Now look, if you're a follower of Christ and you're indulging in sin, Again, Jesus paid the price, and you can turn to God, but you need to have that heart of repentance, just like when we came to faith. We need to turn to God with the heart of repentance. See, God can work with a person who has a heart of repentance, but if you do not have a heart of repentance, you're just saying, no, God, I have this. I don't need you. I got it, and I'm okay with well and how I'm living my lifestyle, and that is a dangerous place to be. So where on this list do you need to have the Holy Spirit do a work in your life? You know, we also have mentoring relationships here that are available to help us in our pursuit because our pursuit of God is difficult. And if that's you, sometimes it's hard in a small group to say, hey, I am, you know, I'm, I am messed up. I am dab, well, I'm beyond dabbling. I'm entrenched in pornography and I need help. That sometimes is better on a one-on relationship. And just know that that exists here because we are a church that's here to carry one another's burdens, to walk alongside each other, and to help. But here is the win. We finish each week with here's how we win. We win the war by consciously choosing to believe the gospel again and again and again and walk by the Spirit. 
And I like this, going back to faith. We were on the course of the world. It took us to turn off that path to say, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. I want to follow your way. I want you to be the leader of my life. And I'm putting my trust in you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm turning to you for the forgiveness of my sins. But it took us to turn from the, the course of the world to God and say, God, I'm all in. And yet now we still have this sin nature and we're going to make mistakes. So now as believers, we still look at the gospel or we still look at the cross. And we say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. And this is daily. So we continue to have a heart of repentance. When we do sin, we say, God, help me with this. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. And here's a couple scriptures. I told you to remember that verse in verse chapter 7, verse 24, where Paul says, who is going to free me from this? Here's the very next, next verse, verse 25, and then we'll look at chapter 8, verse 1. He says, thank you, God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that saves us from the bondage of sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. It is all about Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And here's our last verse for today, Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you are here engulfed in some sin or dabbling in some sin or somewhere in between that, the answer is right here. And for those who are engulfed in this sin, entrenched in this sinful nature, and you are trying everything on your own power, and you come to this conclusion, I can't beat it. You're right, you can't. Many of us, all of us, we can't beat our sin problem. We can't manage it. We can't overcome it. We can't beat it. But we can turn to the answer, the one who can forgive us of our sins, the one who can bring healing so that we fall from engulfed sin into slipping into sin is all right here in Jesus Christ our Lord. And at that moment of faith, remember I said, he puts God in us. Friends, there is no one more powerful than the almighty living God, and he puts himself in us. You're right. You cannot overcome your sin. But if you turn to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, you can. You have the power of the most powerful being in existence is God. There's nothing as powerful as God. The sin that you feel that you have lost to that you cannot overcome, which is true, can be won in the victory of the power of the Holy Spirit leading you through it. Turn to him. Stop relying on you and turn to the Holy Spirit's leading, the power of God. And let me say this, there will be a time when the sin is eradicated, erased, but it's not going to be in this life. When we pass that eternal promise from God that he has for all who have put his faith and trust in him, we are going to live in eternity without any pain, suffering, sin will be gone. I long for that day. And as followers of Christ, we should all long for that day. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to Celebrate communion. Again, looking at this verse, Galatians, as the worship team comes back up, those who belong to Christ, 
Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified those sins there. Since we are all living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So if you did not grab a communion cup, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have the ushers come forward. Communion is for anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. If you're here and you're just trying to check out God, I remember being in your seat. I remember being at church and allowing those elements to not be a part of my life then. And I'm so glad you're here. I felt very welcomed when pastors would communicate, this is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. But if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, we want to team up with you. We want to partner with you. We want to help you pursue God and ultimately come to this place where you have your faith moment. But we are going to take communion together. And I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is incredible to me that Jesus says, hey, remember this. <laughs> remember this moment when I died for your sins. Remember it over and over and over again. And when you slip into sin, remember it again and again and again that I died for your sins. Let's remember that as we eat that his body was broken for us. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. This is grape juice. Saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. A promise from God. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's remember that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for you, thankful for your word. I pray for those who are here that have not yet put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. I pray that you would use this message to draw them one step closer to you. I pray that they would just feel welcomed here, that they can discover who God is, and we want to help them in their journey, Lord. And we're grateful, Lord, that you didn't leave, here, leave us here stranded to deal with our sin problem like good luck. But you did everything possible to give us the life, to give us the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have life in you, the nature that we need through the Holy Spirit's leading, Lord. God, you did it all. All we have to do is receive it. And it's because you're unfailing and unconditional love. And I pray for those as we kind of touched on some things here today, Lord. You know every heart here. You know every struggle here. And I pray we would surrender that to you. We would have hearts of repentance wanting to bring that to you, God, and say, help me with this. Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Holy Spirit, give me the leading. Holy Spirit, give me the words to overcome my shortcomings, to overcome the things we recognize we're going to continue to do this, Lord, that we're going to continue to slip at times because we're not perfect. But Lord, there is a time when this is all going to be in the past. And your eternal promise to us is so attractive. Thank you. And it's only because of what you did on the cross that we can inherit that eternal blessing. So we long for that day when we don't have to deal with the flesh, when we don't have to deal with sin. And again, it's because of everything that you have done for us, Jesus. May we remember that. And may we cling to you. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.